Heavenly Father, I have a hard word captured inside this passage. I ask God for your spirit to unpack it for us. And may our hearts be receptive to the transformation called in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I know, my friends, that uh, as you are thinking of this passage, and maybe you even read the Daily Walk, or maybe you read this passage in all the different translations each day, thinking, could it be better if I read it in a different translation? You're thinking to yourself, why in the world was this smack dab in the middle here? Did they just, did Luke capture this? In the middle of Acts 4, 32 to 5:16, did he put this, not really the most kid-friendly passage, right? I mean, it's not really the kind of story where you say, Hey, boys and girls, I'd like to tell you this beautiful story. I mean, and you wouldn't really start the story off with, like, friends, I'd like to listen to the story. You would say more like, hearken, listen to this story, right? Our brothers and sisters, Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, for if you only bring a portion of your offering, we will bring the coffin. I mean, that's not the story that you say to your kids before they're going to bed. But I tell you what, it would be a great offering appeal. I mean, wouldn't it? I mean, and we, we do have a development plan coming up soon, and uh, I'm thinking that that could be a great sermon. I mean, maybe, maybe that should be the sermon. I mean, maybe we should start right now, right? I mean, but, but there, there is this kind of pressure, and, and as you read in the Bible, as you read in the Bible, you, you start to read this text, and you think to yourself, I think that's what the story really means, because you read in Acts chapter 5, verse 11, and a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So you start to think to yourself, that's what they're feeling, right? They are all scared, and it's not like this, the fear of like the awe of God. You know, when it talks in the Bible, and they fear of the Lord, it's usually that they have reverence for God, that they have awe of God, that they have wonder of God. Now, this is the fear where they kind of quake in their boots, where they kind of hide under their bed, where they, they kind of like run to the mountains. It's the kind of fear that I remember where I was out in the middle of this particular valley, uh, a couple of miles from a white supremacist campsite, and I had to pull over in my car and check something that was lost, and I kid you not, a truck pulled up with two of the largest hunting dogs that were pretty much the size of a dinosaur in the back of this truck, and three men got out saying they were offering to help me, and all I could think is, is that if I could run, right, if I could run, those uh, bloodhounds would actually capture me through the river. Uh, I mean, they would like, oh, parts, river, we will find him anyway. I mean, this is the kind of fear that they had, and that's what we think when we read this passage. At least, that's what we think is going on. So, question number one, and I only had two questions this morning in the recalibrate questions, but I think they are pretty good questions, uh, since I wrote them myself. Um, uh, question number one, how important is it to recognize that our approach can change the meaning and application. This is a very important question because when you approach something, if you approach it wrong, it can change the meaning and application so much. And I think it's important to recognize. I mean, think about this for a moment. How do we get to the space that we, a holy Jesus community, a holy Jesus community, even here at Boulder Church, where we can actually agree that we're all on the same page? There has to be some kind of like coming together. And our approach to the text makes a difference. Our approach to the relationships makes a difference. Our approach to problems makes a difference. Last weekend, 
my son, my oldest son, Joshua, who is uh, turning 18 tomorrow, uh, means I'm old, uh, our oldest son, Joshua, uh, was in Vancouver, Canada. And uh, last weekend, late at night, he sent a text, right, a, a group text to his mother, Becky, and I, right? And it started out like this, and you'll see it on the screen, it said this, Laughing, uh, LOL, uh, guys, I just got punched in the stomach by some random guy passed on the street. All right? This is the text message. Right? So I, as the father, I responded like this. Wow. Was he drunk? Right? But his mother, Becky, said, are you okay? <laughs> and I was thinking, hmm, oh, that's a good question, too. <laughs> I mean... I thought my question was very good as well. Uh, you know, I'm a very uh, clever person, but, you know, that's what she did. A few texts later, uh, Joshua, you know, we, we deduced some stuff and uh, some humor came through there and stuff. But then uh, a few texts later comes on and says, could you call Chase Bank and tell them I'm in Vancouver? I replied immediately, because I'm very fast. Uh, I can't. You have to, sorry, it's the number on the back of your card, right? Becky, his mother said, are you out of money? I'm like, huh, that too is a good question. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Uh, of course I care. I mean, of course I'm worried if he's alive and bleeding. I mean, but he did send a text message, so he, he must be fine. I mean, and I mean, of course I thought that, you know, he was not out of money. I mean, of course I was thinking all these questions. I mean, how you approach something is very important, right? Uh, and so our perceptions, our perceptions are shaped by our preconceptions, right? And our preconceptions are shaped by our own life and times. So my experiences, my experiences in my life, they shape my approach. And listen, my friends, we, we really do need to be honest about all of this stuff all the time. So when you read this story in Acts chapter 5, in the bang, smack in the middle of this text here, you have to really be honest about the story. If you already believe, all right, if you already believe that God is violent, that God is unjust, that God is an irrational being, that he wants you to just obey him without any mercy, this story is going to feed into your narrative. You're going to like, see, it proves exactly what I believe because this God, I mean, he's mean. I mean, look at this. Ananias and Sapphira, they come along and, and zap, no chance. If that's what you believe about God, you read the story with that understanding straight away. It might not even be about God, your presupposition. It might be that you just simply impose your own issues as you read in the Bible onto God. You may have some issues with other people that you feel make snap decisions all the time. And so as you read texts like this, you kind of just place that emotional baggage onto God. But if you believe in the prophets of old, like our brother Micah, where he said, he has told you a man what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God, then you kind of have to say, I gotta look at this text again. And I do. I look at the Bible as a whole and I say to myself, man, the God that I see, he loves justice and mercy and he is kind and he is generous. As Kepha was praying through the prayer saying, this God, he wants to hold us. This God, he loves us. He brings joy to our lives. That is the God that I actually want, I worship and I understand. So I look at all the biblical texts with that understanding. So then you dig deep and you are honest with it and you have to admit 
there's something about this approach that will change it. And you have to be willing to listen to the Spirit of God speak to you. So I'm going to unpack the story for you. I'm going to tell you some truth. It's going to be difficult because the Bible is brutally honest. And if you're going to tell the, the birth story of the church, I mean, I, I wouldn't have told this story if I was going to tell the birth story of the church, but they do because the Bible is just straightforward about everything. It, Luke is not afraid of the truth. His countercultural strength is incredible. He just says, I'm just going to lay it out. I'm going to lay it all out there because a holy Jesus community is in the midst of a broken world, all right? The holy Jesus community is in the midst of the broken world. And when you read the Daily Walk tomorrow morning, you'll understand this even more. It's still something worth striving for. Now, we left last week with the four ways to be, the four ways to actually look after each other, the four ways for us to be believers and to live in that moment of joy. The problem is that uh, Peter and the apostles they were not living in Galilee where Jesus was. They moved their entire ministry to Jerusalem, right? And when they moved to Jerusalem, they moved their entire ministry right into the epicenter where the Pharisees had all the power. So where Jesus did all of his ministry, the Pharisees over here like, kind of like, it's okay, we have the amphitheater full of all the recording artists. When we do our concert, everybody comes to Red Rocks and it is full. But then Peter and the apostles turn up, they're like an unknown band. Nobody knows who they are. They come on with their little banjos, the ukulele, like Elijah did one day when he was doing worship up here, which was really weird, i got to admit. When he got up here and he had this little ukulele, I was like, okay, Elijah, are you showing off? This is weird or weird. And so he, they came on with the little ukulele, and they came and led worship, and, and suddenly everybody's like, forget all the artists. I want to see the ukulele. And they just literally ukuleleed out. And they went over here, and everybody followed them. And this created a huge tension inside there, that everybody said, I want to follow these people. It says in Acts 4.4, 5,000 men started to follow them, which means you've got 20,000 people inside there. It has gone viral. Annas and, Annas and her high priest Caiaphas, they can't contain it. They lost the auditorium. So they arrest Peter and the apostles to keep them overnight. Now, can you see this amazing moment? They arrest Peter. He has, at long last, his second chance. Because the last time where he was nearly about to be arrested was only about over a month ago, right? And that time, he ran away. He denied the Lord. But here, in Acts chapter 4, you've got to read this, it's so good. Acts chapter 4, and this text is a uh, bonus because it wasn't inside your required reading for Daily Walk. Acts chapter 4, page 1010. Very hard to find. 1010. So uh, Acts chapter 4, pages eight, verses 8 to 12 inside your Bibles in the pew. Pull it out. Uh, if you've not got a Bible at home, take the Bible home. If you want to mark it, mark it. It's just a brilliant passage here. Acts chapter 4, verses 8 to 12. It says there, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which must be saved. I mean, this is a different follower, right? He stands up there with glory. He just says, I am able to do this. And the result, the result is in the next verse, right under here, in verse, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, right? the little ukulele over here, common men. They were astonished, and they recognized that 
they had been with Jesus. Isn't that phenomenal? They just knew, oh, to be like Peter now, to be a holy Jesus community, to be that church that people say, I recognize that they're connected to Jesus. That is what they experience. By the time you read our passage all the way through to our passage, verse 31, just continue on to verse 31, chapter 4, verse 31. It says there, and when they prayed in the place where they gathered together was shaken, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, which meant, in verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart, which is what Pastor Jessica was talking about with the kids, and with soul, and no one said that of any things that they belonged to was his own, but they had everything in common. This was beautiful. This is what had happened to them. There was total transformation taking place in their lives. It was that they had recognized that they had become a community together. The Spirit of God said to Luke, Luke, write this down. It will help you then, and it's going to help the early church, and it will help Boulder in 2018. Luke, I need you to break this all down for them. I need you to tie it all up inside the Gospels, tie it all up inside the First Testament, bring that duplotechnic connection together. I had a meeting with all the producers uh, this week for the worship, and uh, they're planning to get a bingo card. Um, uh, they've decided that uh, there are certain things that I say, um, and uh, they want to mark up if I repeat these words, and then they're going to shout out from the congregation, bingo! Um, and apparently I say duplotechnic, that's like one point for them, and uh, eventually they will like shout out bingo. And so now they've got two points. We'll see, we'll see. If they ever shout bingo, I, I actually have some things for them that I'm gonna shout bingo before they say it, uh, just FYI. But these Hebrew roots are important because you need to know that the Bible is interwoven by the Spirit of God. It's not just one guy over here just writing his random thoughts. Every book comes together and that's what makes it the inspired word of God. So the story begins with a different approach. When you approach a text with the idea, with the presupposition, with the approach saying, God, let me see what you say inside here. Acts chapter 5, verse 1 that Vern read for us earlier says this. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. You can stay inside that text. That's the text we're going to stay in today. Acts chapter 5, verse 1, page 10, 11, 10, 11. When Luke uses the term a man, he only uses the term a man in his book of Acts. He only uses it when he's introducing somebody who is a character who is a, a sympathizer and not necessarily a believer of Jesus Christ. Because we knew already that he's a bloke, but he wants to let you know this guy, Ananias, he's not a fully sold out believer of Jesus. He's a sympathizer. He's interested, but not fully there. And then the story unfolds. And he tells you their names. He says, Ananias. And you're like, who is Ananias? He tells you, well, Ananias means Yahweh is gracious. You see the irony in there? Sapphira, it means beautiful. So Yahweh is gracious and beautiful who are sympathizers come together. And Luke 2 says this. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, brought only a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Together, that is, Adam and Eve decided to hide in the garden. Together, the Hebrew slaves in Egypt came out, and together they decided to worship the golden calf. Together, David and his right-hand Joab decided to kill Uriah. Together, Ananias and Sapphira decide together to deceive Peter 
and the apostles. Now the verb used where it says he kept back himself is also found one other place in the Bible. It's in Joshua chapter 7 verse 1, which is what Luke does, right? He ties it back to the First Testament. And it's the only other story inside the Bible where it says, and Achan took some devoted things to himself. It's the same verb. It ties it back intentionally to say, there are things that you do that you take that God says, I don't want you to do. And these are the things that he did. So he ties the stories together, binding them. So when they read the story, they understand something evil is taken inside inside here. I have a friend, Kevin Lambert, that has gathered a few leadership tenants over time which I was able to add one to his five, so we have six leadership tenants I'm going to go through with you, because these leadership tenants speak into this story. These leadership tenants are things that you may want to apply to your own life and wrestle through in your own life. And these six leadership things, I'm gonna fly through them, are things that I believe actually are what Peter and the apostles had to wrestle through. They're things that we have to wrestle through and this story speaks to. Leadership tenant number one, self-awareness. You can't lead others unless you know yourself. See, Peter is in sync with the Holy Spirit. And that in the fact is that the church and the Holy Spirit are in one voice. So when you lie to the church, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. This is deep. And you may struggle with that idea, but in the Bible, in Acts, there are many times where it will say, and the church said this, and literally the next verse says, and the Holy Spirit said the same thing, because they were in sync together. So when we lie to each other, which is our privilege to be able to do, it is our inability to accept the reality. We break ourselves down as a church. Number two, vulnerability. Vulnerability is being brave, not perfect. The apostles understood that it is not by their power. They admitted they have no education, no glory, that it's actually all of Jesus Christ. They're looking at people to be honest. Ananias and Sapphira are standing in front of thousands. It's not like they just came into a sanctuary, a little church. They're standing in the temple area that has thousands of people all around them. So when they come forward to drop the stuff in front of the apostles, there's thousands of people watching this. It's not a small thing. They have to be brave, but not perfect. And the apostles want the church to to be vulnerable, to be brave, but not perfect. They want them to be honest but not perfect. They want them to actually be a holy Jesus community. That's the kind of people that we should be. Number three, candor. Being truthful with others with positive intent. Peter confronts them. In English, when we read it in the English text, we see that there are four questions that come up. But in the Greek, there are actually six questions because the Greek can break it out differently. He's embedded with six probing questions, saying all the time, Ananias, Pull back, my friend. Pull back. Answer one of these questions honestly. Just reply. Just repent of this stuff. Be brave in front of the people here. Be the person that God has called you to be. There are some people that love to be candid with somebody else, right? But it's not to help them. They just like to be mean. (laughs) Ah, I just want to tell you, and I'm blah, 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 right? But if you're candid, honestly, in a holy Jesus community, it's because you want to help somebody and you do it with the intent to help them. A holy Jesus community builds you up. Number four, emotional agility is adapting to changing circumstances. In the text, it tells us that Satan filled his heart. It's a very clever and very important announcement 
because Judas did the same thing. He had Satan fill his heart. Luke records the same thing. And when he entered him, there was a possible disaster to take place. You notice that the spirit was filled in the heart of all the apostles and the people. But in this case here, Satan had filled their heart. If your heart is not healthy, you can't make good choices. If you're an emotional wreck, you're not able to like connect. You don't know how to make the choices you do. If you are exhausted, if you are physically tired, don't make the biggest decision of your life. Pause for a second, get some sleep. Don't go to see the apostles at that point. Think about it. Emotional agility is adjusting to this. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 19, 16, 6, verses 16 to 19, the, the Proverbs list six, seven sins that God absolutely abhors. And this couple do six of the seven things. The only thing they don't do is they don't shed blood. Otherwise, they do six of the seven things that God says, I absolutely abhor these things. Lying, deceitfulness, all these things. They do all of this. A holy Jesus community will help you see that the Spirit can heal your heart. Number five, this is hard. Sitting with tension. The ability to hold opposing concepts simultaneously, such as preserving the core and driving change. Peter challenges them about the reality that they did not need to sell this land, right? He made an appeal. He said, hey, we need to do this. We need to move the mission forward. But he didn't say you had to go sell the land. No one asked them to do this. They just chose to do this. So why not be faithful? A holy Jesus community is not afraid to share the tension they're in. Imagine if they just admitted, you know, we, we were selling it and we didn't realize it was going to make that much money and, and now we're just we're struggling. We're struggling with like, giving all of it away, and I don't know what to do about it, and, and uh, let's process what that means, right? Let's talk about it. Let's be brave about the struggle that we're going in. It would have been a different story entirely. And number six, would you find it a relief or a regret if we part ways? This is a, a question whenever you're making a big decision or any decision in your life, you have to like pause and, and place yourself inside and ask, what happens if I choose this, if I part ways? Finally, when Sapphira arrives, again, in front of thousands of people, she's a strong leader. She turns up in a, as a woman in a man's world, and she speaks in front of all of them. Is she not surprised that there's no thanks, that there's no like cheer? Is she not willing to pause long enough in her mind and think through before she answers the question that Peter's asking her right there and the implications of sticking with the story, we are sometimes just too quick to make decisions, that we don't give God any chance to talk to us. A holy Jesus community takes time to engage in your life. But I know that for some of you, even though you hear these six things, it's still niggling away, isn't it? You're like, but did, but did God kill them? I know you, you just can't let it go, right? You're like, I hear you, Pastor, but, but did he kill them? You're just like, you can't get out of that mindset. You're still like stuck there. I'm like, I, I thought I dealt with that like an hour ago. No, I'm just, I, I haven't listened to a single thing you said. I've just been stuck over there, right? Because that, that's just so difficult because our narrative has been sold to us over and over again that God is a violent, nasty God and the God of love He's just been pushed aside. The problem is that the question you want to ask and find is actually, is the question that's actually hidden inside there. It's not actually the question that we should be asking. 
Was it from a shark? Was it from a heart attack? Was it directly from God? From what? The text doesn't actually say, because that's not what the story is actually about. God has never changed who he is. The Bible tells us that. He is the same here forever, in the past, forever, in the future. He loves mercy and justice. We're missing the great questions that we should be asking. And if we can focus on this one, did he do this? We can ignore the hard one all the time. Because at the end of the story, Luke, for the very first time, mentions the word church. He hasn't done this before. He brings it up in Luke chapter, in verse 11 of chapter 5. He introduces the word church, and he uses the same word, ties it again to the First Testament that they used in Deuteronomy, all the way through Deuteronomy, because he says, I want you to understand that God has always had a people. And this people, God calls them to be a people who are his, who are honest with each other. And they are always faced with a deep choice. And now, you are his people. And you are his people who are living by the power of the Spirit. So, question number two, our final question this morning. If we are honest, what questions are we trying to avoid? If you are honest, what questions are we trying to avoid? These are hard questions I'm going to share with you, and I'm going to say them to you. You can jot them down. You can think about them. Maybe one of them will speak directly to you. Some of them you will think, as you listen to them, you're like, oh, I know exactly who that question is for. It's not me. It's her. It's him. But I want you to think about which question actually applies to you, all right? Because we are a holy Jesus community. And God has something to say to you today. And this text, as difficult as it is, there are questions inside here that actually apply to your life. So, are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Do we proclaim the name of Jesus boldly? How many times have we denied the name of Jesus, like Peter? How many times have we, like Peter, been given a second chance to speak his name and grabbed hold of that? Would we want Peter in our church today? God wants us to be authentic before we believe. This is really important, right? Can we be honest that we are avoiding him? We avoid him in all sorts of ways. We find all sorts of excuses, but can we be honest that we are actually avoiding him? And the closer we get to God, the more honest we have to be about the stuff that we're dealing with. Every single day, the stuff that we have to face. But the closer you get to God, God will talk to you about that. And you'll have to face it. Are we abusing the church? Are we abusing the Holy Spirit? Are we abusing the space that God has created for us to connect? Peter showed that the church, when in line with the Holy Spirit, is irresistible, right? So, do you want to be part of the cool factor, that factor, or do you want to be part of Jesus? That's what Ananias and Sapphira wanted. They want to be part of the cool factor rather than be part of Jesus. If we do, what are you willing to bring to the feet of the apostles? What are you willing to sacrifice? Do you want to be like Barnabas, 
simply give, simply be, simply willing to do, to encourage, or are you willing to be, or do you want to be like Ananias and Sapphira, only do and give when others can see and understand this, when it looks good? Are you in 100% with Jesus? Or you're in 50% pretending that it looks like 100% and you can make up whatever excuse you want. So I've got some sentences that I'm gonna read to you and I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, stand with me. And as I read these to you, there is a a sentence you're gonna see on the screen. It says this, that is a holy Jesus community, all right? So I'm gonna read this and I'm gonna ask you to recite with me as an affirmation that this is what we are. To be free, all right, to be free is to be the same person in the dark as it is in the light. Do you hear that? That is a holy Jesus community. Let me try that again because I heard only two people say it and I'm kind of worried now. To be free is to be the same person in the dark as it is in to be in the light. That is a holy Jesus community. To be free is to use the gift that Jesus gave us and be honest. That is a holy Jesus community. And to be free is to take the breath in our lungs and pour out our praise. And that is a holy Jesus community. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only you are life you are love you bring light to the darkness you give hope Every heart that is broken, great are you, Lord. It's your breath, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. Father, oh, fill our lungs, Lord. Take our bones and give life to them. Give us the courage to be the people that you've called us to, to be honest with each other, to lift each other, to be that holy Jesus community. 
Lord, I ask again as we have every week this year, as we begin this year, build a strong firewall behind us. Part the sea before us and give us the courage to walk through, Lord. May we have that in your name, we ask. Amen and amen.